Now, we have a special guest that is going to be joining us this morning. Um, and it is, uh, it's kind of a, a, a funny story. He left two and a half years ago, just about, before any of us heard of COVID. And literally, he stepped on a plane to go over to England, and I think he left COVID behind because it exploded shortly afterwards. Our old, and by I mean old, you'll see from his hairline, our old worship leader, Tim Berry is back this morning with his wife, Renska, and all three of their kids. And so Tim is going to be coming after two and a half years. This is his first stop on his home tour, and this, this is his home. So Tim's going to be sharing with us what's been going on in his life. He's going to bring the Word of God to us this morning. Can I ask you to welcome wildly back one of our favorite sons, Tim Berry. Man, you guys are going to make me cry before I get started. <laughs> Whew. Man, there's something about coming home that's just, uh, that's new. <laughs> Fortunately, somebody warned me about it. John didn't warn me about it. Um, so I think uh, there's a, little, uh, there's a little, little rivalry there. Just kidding. Um, man, I have so many thoughts in my head. Um, I, ho I hope when I get, don't get lost, but it is so good to see you. Um, it's so good. I, I just I keep telling people, coming back and hearing the stories of what God's been doing here, um, and just, I mean, I keep going, man, God is so faithful. Amen? We just sang about it earlier. He is so faithful. He never, his love never fails. His goodness, his timing is perfect. Somehow, in all the messiness and the chaos, it's perfect. Um, so what I want to do this morning, uh, can we read the Bible together? <laughs> Is that okay? <laughs> um, Acts chapter 1, I said, John said, where are you preaching from? I said, Acts chapter 1. He said, oh, great, we're about to start the book of Acts. Uh, so you can, you can steal that first sermon from me. So if you have your Bible, it's going to be up on the screen behind me. Um, Acts chapter 1 and verses 1 through 11. I'm reading from the ESV. I don't, we didn't actually coordinate what, so it might be a little different. I don't know. Luke was a doctor. He wrote Acts. He wrote, also wrote the Gospel of Luke. And he writes this in verses 1 through 11. He says, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach, until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time re restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. 
And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why are you standing looking up into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Um, I have like five goals for this morning. I'm not sure how it's going to go. We'll see. Uh, I want to give you a little bit of update. Uh, there's a lot of new faces kicking around this place. Uh, so some of you don't know me, so I want to give you, just introduce myself briefly, a little update. I want to share some stories, and I think the Lord has something for us in these verses this morning, and I want to share that a little bit as well. Um, but first, uh, Nancy, could you put up that picture of my, that first picture of my family? Um, so for those of you who don't know us, these are my kids, uh, my son, Tice, Renska, my wife, uh, Anouk is our second, and Yana, which I don't think very many of you have met because she was born in England a week after I got there. Uh, that's a whole story. Uh, Yana is our little one, um, and they're going to be here at the end of first service, and there's a table just kind of outside the door later on. Um, if you want to say hi to them and catch up, they would love to see you. Um, we also have prayer cards out there, updated ones. Someone said the other day, I see you on my fridge all the time. We've got new ones out there with that picture on it. Um, so if you would take, if you would consider praying for us, uh, man, we would be so, we value that so much. Um, so that's the, the table out there. Um, and I get to say thank you this morning. Um, Paul in, 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 in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he talks about being able to preach the gospel for free. Uh, this church and many of you individually have supported us over the last two and a half years. And you have allowed us in a place called Wolverhampton to preach the gospel for free. It didn't cost the people of Wolverhampton anything. And someday, hopefully, that, that church will get to a place where they can support its own pastor and, and have other ministry. But for this, these early years, you have allowed us to follow God's calling. And so can I say thank you? Thank you for your giving. Thank you for your support. Thank you for your prayers. Um, we still need to raise money for the next three years as well. If you want to talk to me about that afterwards, I'd love to talk to you about it. Um, but thank you. Um, a quick update, real quick. Um, so we went to, for those of you who don't know, we went out, we were sent out two and a half years ago to a town in the West Midlands in England called Wolverhampton. It's not a very well-known town. It's right outside of the second biggest city, Birmingham. Anybody here heard of Birmingham? Not Birmingham. Birmingham, yep. And uh, it's, it's a place where there are not enough churches. It's a city of about 250,000 people, and there's just not enough churches to be able to reach the whole city, to see the city start to shift towards a gospel-centered place. And so that's why we were called there, that's why we were sent there, was to see not just one church planted, but to start to see a movement of churches being planted. So shouldn't you, shouldn't you plant one church first? Well, yeah, that's what we're doing. But we've got this bigger vision of going, we feel like the Lord is calling us to see churches planted, church planters raised up, and we want to be a part of that. And you guys, by your support, you are a part of that. You participate in gospel work in Wolverhampton by your prayers, by your support, by your giving. Wolverhampton is known, uh, it's part of an area called the Black Country. It's known for the... Uh, anchors of the Titanic, that's where they were built, was in the black country in, in near, just, just outside of Wolverhampton. Um, it's, a, it's a solidly working class area. There's, there's regularly violence and 
the, church, the, the school where our church meets, I'll tell you more about that later, there's a kid stabbed outside of the school about a month ago. Um, it's stabbings in England, not shootings. Um, and so the, it's, it's a place, there's great need, there's lots of refugees, we've made a lot of friends. Um, it's a very diverse place. We're in the street on Mondays a lot of time, giving out books to people about Jesus. I'll tell you more about that in a minute as well. But there are so many different kinds of people. It's fascinating. It's fascinating. Um, Noah Davey, who uh, George's dad is back there doing sound right now, he came and spent uh, a couple of months with us, and he got to experience it. And, and I think he walked away changed because he got the opportunity to talk to people about Jesus. He saw the diversity, experienced different cultures. Um, it's a lot of fun. So we got there, as John referenced, uh, I left the day after Christmas Eve, and uh, our daughter was born a week after that I got there, and my wife said, you have a week to learn to, to, to drive on the other side of the road so you can get me to the hospital. <laughs> no pressure. And uh, fortunately, we, we, yeah, I managed to get us there without uh, any massive accidents, and she was born, and she is, uh, she's spicy, man. Yeah, she's a lot of fun. Um, so we got there, and three months later, I uh, was driving back from Germany from a church planning conference, and all of a sudden I'm hearing COVID, and everything's starting to shut down, and we get back to England, and all of a sudden I can't leave my house. And uh, it was like, Lord, what, what the heck am I supposed to do right now? How do you plan a church in lockdown? Um, but again, we sang about it earlier. The Lord is so faithful. We began uh, meeting online. Where it's like, well, everyone else is meeting online, even though we don't have a building or even a congregation. I mean, we could start doing something online. So we started doing that. We had a couple of friends of friends who were looking for a church who were from Wolverhampton, and they said, well, let, let us come pray with you. We'll see what the Lord's going to do. And we did that for about a year. And then uh, one of, our, one of those, those people who began meeting with us is a chaplain at this school, and he said, well, maybe we could meet in the school when stuff started to open up last July. And uh, so we started opening up. My dad had some sound equipment, and we put that up and brought that into the school. They gave us a cupboard, and we started meeting. Uh, we picked up a few people online. I think we were sort of 10, 12 people uh, when we started in-person meetings. And uh, we've grown to about 30 uh, now. Um, that's including kids. So we've got Sunday school. Yes, praise God. <laughs> um, and it's, it's, it's slow in that sense, and we're doing a couple, that we're, it feels like we're not doing things in a linear way. You know, you do A, and then you do B, and then you do C. It's like, well, there's A, and there's B, and there's C, and there's D, and we're pushing each forward a little bit, and it's like, oh, okay, God did this, so we can now push B forward a little bit, and oh, yeah, D, I forgot about D. And so it's like we're, we're, we're forming this core group of people. We're gathering them. We're forming them and trying to help them catch the vision for a church plant. And they're believers. But then we're also doing evangelism. We're out in the streets. We're doing a, a VBS in the park this summer. We've got a team coming over from California to help us do it. Um, we've got, and then I'm, I have a ministry, a little bit of doing some training. Because I'm out on the streets all the time. People said, hey, can you, we've got a group that wants to get trained in how to talk to people in the street. And uh, so I get to train people. I never thought I'd be doing that. Um, but it's a lot of fun. I keep saying that because it is fun. Um, so we've been in, in person for about eight months. We've got 30 people. Where we've got small groups that are meeting. Um, we're reading the Bible one-to-one -one with people and teaching them how because we keep praying for, we keep saying to people, we're doing all this outreach. And at some point, the Lord is going to bring people to us who don't know him or are baby Christians. And we want to be ready. We want to be ready. And so we've been reading the Bible one-to-one -one and just trying to get ready for, for when, when, when folks come in and they're like, I want to know about Jesus. 
It's like, great, sit down with this person and read the Gospel of Mark. And you can discover Jesus for yourself. That's my update. Um, we're glad to be here. It's good to get away. It's good to have six weeks seeing friends and family and getting to share what God has done. And I'm encouraged coming back in here and seeing what God is doing here. I'm hoping that you're encouraged by our sharing as well. Um, let's turn to this, this passage we read in uh, Acts chapter 1. I got a couple of stories and a couple of, of thoughts for you this morning. Um, if you read the title and the teaser that goes out, um, the, the, the title of the sermon was, You Had to Be There. Because what we read here is, is Jesus setting the disciples up for the rest of the book of Acts. But actually, it's relevant to all of us. And, and the core of this is that you had to be there. You, had to, you need to experience Jesus for yourself. Because the call is, you're my witnesses. Did you catch that when we read through it? You're, I'm going to send you out as witnesses, not just the disciples, but all of us. But you can't witness something, you can't be a witness for something that you haven't seen. In New York City, you say, if you see something, say something. If you ain't seen it, you can't say it. If you haven't seen Jesus, if you haven't met him, you can't be a witness. That's what I want to talk about this morning. What, what reliable witnesses, people who have seen Jesus, what reliable witnesses do? They do four things. What time is it? 9.35. Keep my eye on that clock. Can I get a bottle of water? My throat is super dry. Goodness. Um, so the first thing that I, I want to look at us. Thank you, sir. Renee, we're good. I remember growing up and seeing guest speakers and they'd always have a bottle of water and it's like, yeah, I guess it's a thing. The first thing that reliable witnesses do is that they know Jesus personally. The first thing that reliable witnesses do, they know Jesus personally. If you look at verse 3, Jesus, it says, Jesus presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking to them about the kingdom of God. Reliable witnesses have a personal experience of Jesus. You see, notice it talks about he, he, he presented, him to, presented himself to them with many proofs. You see, it starts with that knowledge, that, that, that belief, that intellectual understanding that Jesus really did rise from the dead. We talked about it last week at Easter. He didn't stay in the grave. He really did rise from the dead. And that's historically, it's verifiable. We're one of the few religions that has a resurrection that, and a book that actually historically documents it, that we can go and look at it and go, yeah, it's, it, the evidence is pointing very strongly in that direction. But more than just an intellectual understanding, uh, saying, yeah, I, can, I, can under, I, can, I think this is true, I can believe it, there's a personal experience of Jesus. He was with them for 40 days. He spent time. He talked to them. They conversed. If, if you remember, if, if you remember some of the, the resurrection stories in Luke 24, and Jesus is on the road to Emmaus, and the disciples, when they finally remember, realize that it's him, they say, we should have known our hearts were burning in our, within us the whole time. It's deeply personal. 
intense. Jesus in John 20 with Mary Magdalene. And she doesn't recognize him. She thinks he's the gardener. And he finally looks at her and says, Mary. And there's only one person who says her name that way. There's only one person who says your name that way. And she turns around and says, my teacher, Rabboni. And Thomas, doubting Thomas, put your hands, here's the holes, put your fingers in the holes, put your hand in my side. Can you imagine? It's deeply, intensely personal. Friends, that's what we need. If we're going to be able to follow and live out this calling to be witnesses, we need to have a deeply personal, intense encounter with the living, the risen Jesus Christ. I've got a friend, he, he's, uh, he's Russian. New fr- I mean, all my friends are new at this point. <laughs> uh, but he just married into, in, in Wolverhampton, there's a big Caribbean population, third, fourth, fifth generation that, that have been there. Uh, and he just married a Caribbean girl from Wolverhampton. And uh, he's, he's dealing with culture shock and all kinds of stuff. And it's been fascinating talking with him through the whole Ukraine-Russia thing. Um, but he was sharing his testimony with me, and he said, you know, he was, his, his dad and his uncle are Soviet-era R- Russian generals. He lived a hard life. And he started going to church because he liked the people. And one day he was sitting there, and he, the band was playing, and he stood up in the music, and he said, he just started, he called out to Jesus. And he said, in that moment, I, was, I felt washed clean. I can't explain it. I was clean on the inside and the outside. That was, that, was, that was the first time I met Jesus. Have you met Jesus? Everything hinges on this. Have you met Jesus? Do you know him? Not just through your parents, not just through church, but do you know him Personally. Maybe there's someone here this morning who doesn't. Maybe you're still working through, I'm not sure if I scientifically, I'm not sure if I can, it, this, is a, this is a question of life and death. It's worth figuring out. It's worth figuring out. The first thing that reliable witnesses do is that they know Jesus personally. The second thing that they do is that they, reliable witnesses, enjoy Jesus' ongoing presence. You look in verses Four through six, while staying with them, he ordered them, don't depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he says in verse five is the Holy Spirit. It's going to happen in chapter two. You'll get there in a couple weeks at Pentecost. But he says, Jesus says to the disciples, listen, don't depart, but wait. You have a divine appointment with the Holy Spirit. And back in John's gospel, Apostle John, he wrote the story of Jesus. Back in John's gospel in chapters 14 through 16, Jesus says a bunch of times, the Holy Spirit is coming after I leave. In fact, it's better that I leave so that he can come. Think, that doesn't make sense. I mean, wouldn't it be better to have Jesus here in person? Wouldn't that make things? Jesus says, no, it's better that the Holy Spirit comes because I'm with you, but he's going to be in you, and he's going to help you. He says in the next verse, verse 7, he says, the Holy Spirit's going to come and give you power. Man, we live in a power-hungry world, don't we? No, man, I put you guys to sleep already. Don't we? I mean, all kinds of power. And Jesus says, no, no, not that kind of power, spirit kind of power, my kind of power, upside-down kind of power. He says, wait for it. He's going to give you that ongoing experience of my presence that you can enjoy, that peace, that help. He's going to bring to mind everything that I said to you. 
when we got to uh, Wolverhampton, you know, we were in, that was our second year there. We were able to move to Wolverhampton finally. And uh, I looked at Renska and I was like, I, I, I got to do something. I, I can't just sit here. And so I said to my friend who's the chaplain at the school where we meet, I said, let's, we come out and start prayer walking with me and just walk in the streets and praying and just asking God, like, what, what can we do? And uh, so we started prayer walking. At some point, somewhere in some conversation, someone said, oh, we used to do a book table. And uh, I was like, a book table? Sounds kind of old school. And uh, I kept thinking about it. And in the middle of Wolverhampton, there's the main drag where we, where we, we do this book table. And there's, there's uh, Pentecostal preachers out there who are yelling and screaming at people. And there's, the, there's the, the Hindu folks come out, and they have their table out there sometimes. And the Muslims on Saturdays have their table up at the, the, the top of the street. And, and, and this is the street where it all happens. And it's like, we, we need to be in this street, but we need to be different. And a book table is, is non-confrontational like some of these other folks. So we, we got a, a, tr- a, 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 what do you call the, like a foot trolley? Use it to like move f- refrigerators and, yeah? What's that? Hand trolley. There you go. Hand truck. There you go. In French, it's diable. Um, we got one of those. We put some boards on it. I think there's a picture here somewhere. Um, put some boards on it and a uh, little table that folds out. We've got a tablecloth that goes on top. And we go out and, and we stand in the street. And we try different stuff. Hey, anybody want a free book about Jesus? Anybody want a free book? And if they say yes, we say, these are all about Jesus. Um, we, we, you look like you could use a free book. All around free books. I mean, you know, I'm becoming a little bit of a salesman. Not very good, but, you know. But we're out there, we're present. Sometimes it's, hey, are you interested in spiritual things? People are interested in spiritual things. It's interesting, you learn a lot about different cultures. White people are not. I'm not, supposed, I'm not supposed to talk about color, but I'm going to do it. White people are not, they're not interested. But every other culture out there, it's normal to talk about your faith. I'm getting used to that. It's kind of handy, actually. So we go out there, and, and it's like, okay, Lord, I don't really want to do this. I don't really want to talk to people, but I feel like I need to start doing something. And so we went out there, we've got books, and we just try and ask people questions about who they are, where they come from, what their experience is, because we're trying to learn about them. And the incredible thing is, every time we go out, we try and pray two things. We say, Lord, do you have a divine appointment for us this morning? If you have one, help us recognize it. And man, give us the right words, because I don't feel like talking to people this morning. And every week, we get eight to ten people who take something away, and usually a couple of those are really good conversations. We've had some people come to church. We've had some people come to church and stay, and some just come and visit. We've had some of those, you know, you have those conversations where it's like, man, that was important. Like, like something, we're a stepping stone in that person's journey. We might never see him again, but that's okay. God knows what he's doing. So two weeks ago, no, a month ago, uh, I meet this young guy. He comes, he comes past and we say, would you like a book about Jesus? And, and he kind of gives me this funny look, and he keeps going. Okay. About 10 minutes later, he comes back. And he's like, I got all kinds of questions. Okay? All right, Lord. <laughs> Here we go. And he's asking, he wants to know about the resurrection, he wants to know about Jesus, he wants to know, I mean, all kinds of stuff. And I'm sitting there talking to him, and I'm going, friend, you're asking me questions that I can't answer quickly. If you want to talk about this more, I'm done at noon. If you come back... At noon, I'll buy you coffee. We could sit down and talk about it. So I'm looking, it's the noon. I'm looking at my watch. 
And there he comes, walking up the street. So I pack up my stuff. We go over to the, the equivalent of the Starbucks. And uh, we sit down and we start talking. And um, he, he's, he grew up in an atheist family, working class. Started AA about five years ago. And it was the first time they said, you need to have a higher power. It was the first time he'd ever thought, maybe I should consider God or religion or something. And, and he, he somehow he fell into Christianity. He's, he's, he's basically a baby Christian who got left to die. He's got all these questions. He's got all this junk in his life. And so we've been meeting. We met two, twice right before I left. And we sit there, and he goes, hey, what about this? And I'm going, oh, pull up my Bible, flip to a passage. Here, read that. And he's like, <laughs> And he calls me in the, in, in the afternoon one time, and he, he goes, I'm dealing with this. I'm, I'm, I'm sleeping with my girlfriend and this and that. And I'm, I'm, I'm getting drunk. And I, I, he's, feel, he's feeling convicted of his sin. <sighs> Hallelujah. Right before we left, he was going to come to Good Friday. For, to, she hadn't come to church yet. He's going to come to church on Good Friday for the first time. And I texted him. I said, hey, he's going to pick him up. And uh, he said, dude, I'm in the hospital. I had an overdose. His name's Carl. Would you pray for Carl this week? I haven't heard back from him again. I texted him a couple times. Uh, but this is, this is Wolverhampton. Um, the, and this is our world in a sense. There are no easy conversions into to following Jesus. It's all messy. But that's the kind of thing, that's why we're out there, is for those kind of conversations, those kind of contacts. Can I ask you this? I'm not, I'm not asking you to go out and do a book table, but I do think that the Spirit has something for each of us. And we have everything in our world. We need nothing. Sometimes I think we don't experience His ongoing presence because we don't need Him for anything. Sometimes you have to do a little extra work to get out of your comfort zone and to risk a little bit for Jesus. Is there something this morning that he is calling you to say, hey, risk a little bit for me? Maybe it's at work. Maybe it's your neighbor. Maybe it's at your kid's football game. Where you're saying, hey, there's, there's an opportunity here to talk about me. We're going to talk about what it means to talk about him in just a second. Maybe it's serving somebody and, and you wind up with the opportunity to talk about Jesus a little bit. But is the Spirit asking you, he's calling you. And friends, when you step out, when you step off that cliff, that's the good life. That's the good life. That's where you experience all that joy and peace because you stop trying to carry yourself and protect yourself and you just go, Jesus, I, I gotta trust you. Reliable witnesses enjoy Jesus' ongoing presence. Reliable witnesses also commit to Jesus' priorities. Look at me in the next couple of verses. In verse 6, Luke records this. He said, when they had come together, that's the disciples and Jesus, when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? You got to understand that this preoccupation with the king, restoring the kingdom to Israel, this is something that the disciples had been preoccupied with for a long time. It, you probably know, maybe you know the story of when back in, it's when all, most of the Gospels, when Jesus, he looked around at his disciples and he said, who do you say that I am? And Peter, in good Peter fashion, he goes, you're the Messiah, the Son of God. And Jesus goes, right. And then he starts to, de to describe to them how the Messiah is going to have to suffer. And that didn't square with their understanding of what the Messiah was going to do. You see, for most Jews, 
the Messiah was going to come back and kick the pagans out of the land and take back over and be victorious. And so Peter starts scolding Jesus. Jesus, you can't say that. That's wrong. And Jesus looks at him and he's that brutal line. He says, get behind me, Satan. This is, this is something that the disciples, have, it's, it's a cultural thing that's ingrained in them. We have cultural things that are ingrained in us as well. And so they say, are you, is it now? You've risen from the dead. You've conquered death. Is it now that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus says, he goes, your parents ever do that to you? It means none of your business. He says, it's not for you to know the times that the Father has fixed, the times and the seasons. In other words, guys, you're getting preoccupied with the things of this world, the means of power of this world. Don't do that. It's going to pass away. It's finished. I have a lot of, we have a couple of physics teachers in, in, my, in my church. I like to pick on physicists. Anybody a physicist here? No? That's good. As a physician, you can, you can start to look to physics for all of the, all, did I say physician? As a physicist, you can start to look to physics for all of the things that we're meant to trust Jesus for. If you're a physicist, you've got a career. You can start to look at your achievements, all the things you've discovered. It gives you purpose and meaning. Jesus says, no, look, look to me for that. All that stuff is finite. One day it's going to pass away. Physics has, it, it's a scientific method. It's part, it's a, you're a scientist. And it has a particular view of the world. Phys, physics is a big part of, of, of worldview as well and how science works and how the nature of the world, and all, it all sticks together. And you can start to look at that and go, uh, this, is, this, this is what we're here. You can start to try and use it to answer the big questions, why, why we're here, what, what I'm, what's my meaning in life, is there a God? And Jesus says, no, no, no. Physics is going to pass away. Did you catch that? When Jesus was risen from the dead, he walked through walls. He moved distance at will. And we're going to have the same kind of body in the next life. Physics is going to change. Jesus says, don't look to physics for those things that only I can give you. Instead, he says, you're going to be my witnesses. In other words, it's all about me. Only I can give you purpose and meaning and security and truth. Don't look and power. Don't look anywhere else for those things. He says, you're going to be my witnesses throughout all of the earth. Can we just talk about what it means to be witnesses for a second? Because sometimes I, I, I do a lot, of, I talk to people about evangelism a lot. And they look at me, usually they look at me like you're looking at me right now when I say the word evangelism. Here we go, another nut. Jesus doesn't say, be evangelists. He says, be my witnesses. Have you ever seen a witness in court who starts to try and argue and defend with the lawyer? We have a word for that. That's a hostile witness. They get chucked out. Jesus says, you're going to be my witnesses. Witnesses, they simply tell what they've seen. That's why I made such a big deal about the first thing, that, that reliable witnesses know Jesus personally, because you can't be a witness unless you actually know Jesus. You can't be a witness unless you actually know Jesus. And so, friends, what Jesus is calling all of us to is simply this. Know me 
and be able to tell others what you've seen. Know me so that you can tell others what you've seen. That's what witnesses do. You track it with me there? It's less scary. So when we go out into the street, I'm not trying to, to argue with people. I'm not, I tell people apologetics are only as good as long as they're helping you ask the right kind of questions. If you start telling, you're doing it wrong. Hey, you should come to church with me this weekend, or I'm going to be at church. Church? Why do you go to church? Witness. Yes. Well, I go to church because, uh, because of Jesus. Well, what about Jesus? Well, Jesus. Well, actually, I know it sounds kind of crazy, um, but when I was 16, I was at this youth conference, and I, I found myself sitting in the mud just outside of Bristol in Shepton Mallet, and the band was playing, all my friends were jumping, and I was just sitting in the mud crying because I, 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 I knew Jesus was real, and I had to give him my life. I know it sounds crazy, but like he, 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 he changed my life. That's my story. And in our world, your personal experience is everything. Have you noticed that? And I'm not just talking about Christians. I'm talking about everything, like all across all of society. Your personal experience carries a huge amount of weight. I feel that I am this. Therefore, I feel that I was made like this. Therefore, well, I met Jesus. This is the world we live in. And Jesus has shown us the way. We're witnesses. Not defenders, not apologists. Some people are gifted at those things. But the thing that we're all called to is to say, hey, I've seen Jesus. I know him. We got asked to go into a, a school for a religious education morning. It's something that they do as part of high schoolers. So I got to talk to, um, it was an interfaith panel. So I was on the panel with a Muslim guy and a Hindu lady and a, a, a Buddhist monk, another Christian, a vicar and a Christian pastor. And uh, who else was there? A couple other folks were there. Um, and it was, we talked to, to 16 to 18 year olds about different faiths. It's like, yes, ain't nobody got anything like Jesus. So I'm, I'm happy to go talk to those people about whatever they want me to talk to them about. So I talk about Jesus all day long. So we get in there, and we get the opportunity to talk to a room full of students. The Muslim guy sat in for it, and the Buddhist monk was in the back of the room as well. And these students, they're, they're Hindu, they're Sikh, they're Muslim, they're atheist. There's a couple of Christian kids in there. And we get to, get to stand up in front of them and, and, and bear witness and say, listen, we've studied some religions. There's nobody like Jesus out there. That's my story. I look at these different religions, and I haven't found anybody like Jesus. There's no other religion that is both perfectly idealistic and perfectly realistic as well, and it all hinges on Jesus. He's the only one. He changed my life. And actually, I, I, I challenge you to go and, and figure out how, if you can discredit the resurrection, because if that falls, everything falls. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, if Jesus didn't actually rise from the dead, did you talk about this last week? Jesus did, we're a bunch of fools. We're wasting our time. You should go home right now if Jesus didn't raise it. If you don't believe that he rose from the dead, what, what are we doing here? The kids were like, we ain't never heard that before. We got to go and bear witness. That's what we're trying to do in the street. We're just trying to share our story. And friends, people respond to that. 
People respond to that. Lastly, and I'm going to wrap it up. Reliable witnesses share Jesus' perspective. Jesus is taken up out of their sight in those closing verses, and the two, the two angels show up, and they're like, guys, what are, you, what are you looking at? Jesus is going to come back in the same way that he left. He's going to come back visibly. He's going to come back in person. You'll see him. Reliable witnesses share Jesus' perspective. Friends, history is not chance. History has a telos, a goal, an object. It's going somewhere. There's someone who's in control of it. Jesus is the end point of history. What does that mean for us? It means that we don't have fear, or we shouldn't have fear. I still struggle with fear. By the way, I'm not standing up here as someone who has done all of this stuff perfectly. I'm on a massive learning curve, so please don't put me on a pedestal. We, we don't deal with fear the same way that everybody else deals with fear. We don't deal with death. See the death numbers, the death toll of COVID? We don't deal with death like everybody else does. Why? Because Jesus is coming back. We know where history is going. We don't know all the details. And Jesus says, you don't know all the details. But we know he's coming back. And we know that's how it ends. It doesn't end any other way. It doesn't end with Armageddon. It doesn't end with the destruction of the whole world and the sun blowing up. It ends with Jesus coming back. You can put your money on that. And we don't fear death. This is the same stage where uh, my wife and I stood four years ago. We lost our five-day-old daughter in this, in, this, in this town. And I've gotten to tell that story so many times. And people have responded to it. And to say to them, listen, I don't grieve like everybody else because I know Jesus. And he's the Lord of life. He gives it. He decides what it ends. And so I can stand before you this morning and say, yes, I have hope for the future. Hope that I can't keep to myself. It's too good. And I look around at, at people that I know, people that I'm meeting, people walking through the streets, and I'm going, man, they don't have that hope. I was talking to this guy, Carl, that I know, and, and he asked me about hell. And I said, hell is a real place, and it, we got one life. One life, it says in the book of Hebrews in chapter 9. One life to decide whether you want to be with Jesus for eternity or without him. And why would he make you, that would be just cruel. And he got it. He goes, what about my grandfather? What about my daughter? And my mom? And I said, yeah. I said, we live in this incredible tension of if we just drop everything and go try, we can't convert people at gunpoint. That doesn't work. We, we can't, if you jump up and try and be a crazy person and try and, you gotta love Jesus. That drives them further away. But then we got this crazy tension of, but we don't know when Jesus, it, it, the time is short. We live in that tension. We have that burden. Friends, if I can do anything, if I can leave you with that sense of, man, there's people around me that don't know Jesus. I don't know what to do about it. I'm scared, but I got that burden. There's 962, what is it, 92,962 people around this area that don't know Jesus. And you guys are the closest touch point with Jesus that they have. I want to close with this story. Um, through a, a friend of a friend that I met on Booktable, I won't, it's 
kind of convoluted story, but I met a guy who met a guy and met this, this Syrian Muslim guy. Run a little coffee shop. His family's refugees. They've been living in Wolverhampton for four years. And uh, just kept going back in, talking to him, exchanged phone numbers, asking him questions about Islam. He's asking questions about Jesus. And we've just had, we've had a, a whole bunch of different conversations, but at one point we, we started talking about what is a, a good Muslim and what's a bad Muslim. And he was asking, he's trying to wrestle through, this is a, a Christian country, right? Talk about England. This is a Christian country, like there's Christian schools and there's churches. And I said, well, I was trying to explain to him that it's, it's, it's not actually a Christian country. I'm not sure there actually is a, such a thing as a Christian country. And he was struggling to understand. So I said to him, so if, if, I, if, I, if I start obeying all of the, the, the precepts and the rules and the regulations of the Quran, but I don't actually love Allah, am I a good Muslim or a bad Muslim? He said, you're a bad Muslim. And I said, with Jesus, it's even worse. I said, if you don't know Jesus, you aren't a Christian. If you don't know Jesus, you aren't a Christian. The stakes are huge. And friends, we live in country, in this country and in the country where I serve, where cultural, nominal Christianity, Christian in name only, it's everywhere. It's a disease. And I, I don't, I mean, that as compassion, I mean that compassionately. Friends, we have to know Jesus because without Jesus, it's just another, it's just another social phenomenon. It's just another club. It's like any other religion where you have to try and earn it and do enough good things to get God to like you. There's nothing you can do to get God to like you because Jesus already did everything. And so if you hold on to one thing this morning, it's this. Know Jesus. Know him more, deeper, better. There are people all over this church who are dying for you to walk up to them and say, I, I don't know how to read the Bible. I want to know Jesus more. I'm struggling with this. I need to get right with God. Will you help me? The staff, the elders, small group leaders, they're everywhere. If that's you this morning, in fact, for all of us, my prayer for myself is that I would know Jesus more. Personally, deeply, intensely, not through mom and dad, not through church, not because I was baptized, but because I've got a true, living, real relationship with him. Friends, that's what our world desperately needs, is people know Jesus. We're going to sing. Um, let me pray as we, as, before we sing. Father, thank you for uh, these words. Lord, I'm challenged speaking them again. And Father, I, I thank you that even though we are imperfect, we are chaotic, we're fickle people. You are not. You are always good and always faithful. Lord, help us to hear your call. Give us courage and boldness to walk into those moments, to step off the cliff and trust that you are going to catch us. Thank you for the purpose that you've given us as you send us out. Father, help us to be true, dependable, reliable witnesses. It's in your name I pray.